and welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. That's Monster Kid Radio. And I'm your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook, and I am recording from my car in the parking lot outside the Joy Cinema and Pub here in Tigard, Oregon. I'm here on Wednesday night. That's right. I'm actually recording this less than a couple of hours before I'm going to upload the show for your consumption on Thursday, because that's when we put out the new show. It's episode 140, and we're talking about Frankenstein's Daughter. This movie is being shown tonight here at the Joy Cinema as part of their Weird Wednesday series. If you're in the Tigard or Portland, Oregon area, you got to get out here for Weird Wednesday. It's a 21 and over only event. It's free to get in. Of course, you're encouraged to buy whatever you want at the concession stand and then enjoy the movie with a bunch of people who are into these kinds of films like us, like Monster Kids and people who just like weird films. This episode is going to be all about the Monster Kid Radio crash. I don't know who's going to be here. Like I said, I'm in the car right now. And because there's such a tight time frame, the limited window that I have for post-production, this is going to be a more raw episode than normal. You might hear some well, things that I would normally leave on the cutting room floor. So let's get out of the car. Let's get to the Joy Cinema and see what's going on. Actually, before we do that, I want to read an email. This came in from Chris and Cindy Franklin. Hi, Derek. So jealous that you got to see The Wolfman on the big screen. It's my favorite Universal monster film, and I think you and Chris McMillan really nailed some of the reasons it resonates so well with me and all monster fans. I've come to the conclusion lately that as much as I love Boris and Bella, I may have to become a cheerleader for Team Cheney Jr. To my notion, he doesn't get the credit for his hyper-emotive acting style, which was nearly a decade ahead of its time. I've only seen Dracula's Daughter once, but it's due for a revisit on the Dracula Legacy DVD. Some of the rather progressive overtones of the film are quite shocking for the time. Gloria Holden plays a very compelling and sympathetic character, perhaps the first vampire on film the audience can legitimately feel sorry for. Please, please tell me you are going to crash the Monster Squad showing. I know it's out of your usual time frame, but come on, it's a Monster Kid-made movie about Monster Kids fighting monsters. It deserves to be on Monster Kid Radio. It's a favorite here in the Franklin household, and my son and I will both be doubly envious of you Portlanders who get to see it on the big screen. Looking forward to the Creature Show, and can't wait to hear it when it's up and running. This is from Chris. Now, Chris does a podcast. In fact, we're going to play the promo for that podcast later in this episode. Also, in later in this episode, when I get back to Monster Kid Radio headquarters, I'll go over our contact information. So if you want to email and call in or whatever, pay attention to what we talk about at the end of the show when I give that information out. Of course, you can find it at monsterkidradio.net. Now, he is referring to The Wolfman and Dracula's Daughter because that was the last crash, the last episode of Monster Kid Radio. That was a blast. The Hollywood Theater, which is showing Monster Squad at the end of this month. And yes... It is a Monster Kid Radio crash, as well as the Hammer Films double feature they've got coming up. Again, we'll talk about that at the end of the show. Also talk about it on Facebook. Look us up on Facebook, like the page, and join the group, and you can be up to date on everything that we do there. Okay, you know what? I've got nine minutes before the movie starts. i got to get in the joy, so uh, let's do this. Yes, the night holds terror. An evil reborn from the grave of Frankenstein, bringing a macabre nightmare to a teenage world of rock and roll emotions. For the first time, a female descendant of the infamous Frankenstein, deadlier, more terrifying than ever before. He needed her kiss to satisfy his desire, 
but he wanted her soul for the fiendish creation that was to rule the earth in terror. I'm sure of one thing. You better hurry before that brain cells are damaged completely. Frankenstein's daughter. Now everything was ready. Who would be his first victim? Who will feel the cold sting of death? Kill. Kill him. Korov, don't make me shoot. Go ahead and shoot. You can't even feel it. Kill him. Back. Get back. Kill him. For the most suspenseful and gripping moments you have ever spent, see this masterpiece of Scream a Second Terror. You will never forget it. Okay, boys and girls, I'm back here in my car in the parking lot outside the Joy Cinema. It is 11.08 p.m. Now, this was a crash. There were a handful of us. We had Tom Doffel, we had Maya, we had Jeff Pollier from the Pollier Graveyard. It was a fun time. There were a number of people in the theater. Now, unfortunately, this movie-going experience wasn't exactly the same as the experience that I had at The Wolfman and Dracula's Daughter last week at a different theater. And it's not because of the theater. I mean, the Joy Cinema did a bang-up job. It was pretty cool. You walk in, and they're showing trailers from classic monster movies. That was fun. The concessions are great. I love the popcorn here. They serve rock stars at the concession stand, so I was set. What I mean is that there were some people in the audience who thought their name was Mike or Joel or Crow or Gypsy or Tom Servo. People who were making funny comments. They thought they were funny. And granted, it's Frankenstein's daughter. It's hard to take the movie seriously. But, you know, it does kind of interrupt the movie going experience. And it wasn't something that I particularly enjoyed, especially when they were having conversations that had absolutely nothing to do with the movie. That said... I still had fun watching the film. I was glad I watched it. Now, it's about an hour and a half, and I feel like it runs about 15, 20 minutes too long. This was, by the way, the first time I had ever seen the film. So I, with a little exception, knew nothing about the movie going into it. I had seen the monster design. Specifically, I'd seen the non-Frankenstein's monster, Frankenstein. Well, I'm sorry, the monster design that wasn't named Frankenstein's monster or Frankenstein's daughter. I'd seen that before somewhere. Not entirely sure where. Probably a famous monsters or a scary monsters or one of my monster movie books at home. I'd seen that. And of course, I'd seen the trailer because, well, I play the audio on the show here. So, you know, I'm familiar with that. That said, the movie itself was interesting. It's very 50s. This was a point that was brought up when we were chatting in the lobby after the film. And I apologize for not getting any audio from that. We didn't want to keep the joy cinema too late, that sort of thing. So we didn't really record in the lobby and didn't get everybody on mic, but it's a very fifties movie. And while sometimes the things that happen in these fifties movies don't necessarily age well, there is still a certain sense of charm. I mean, as charming as sexism can be, I suppose. And this one had some of it in there, specifically the brain that goes into the Frankenstein's monster being a woman's brain and the Dr. Frank or Frankenstein character making a comment about how it's a woman's brain in a man's world. It's pliable. It's going to be susceptible to suggestion because that's a woman's brain. That was a little much um, cringing, just kind of thinking about it. However, it was delivered by an awesome villain, <laughs> Dr. Oliver Frank, also known as Frankenstein, played by Donald Murphy. This guy, when he goes into Dr. Frankenstein mode, his eyes glass over, and I don't know how he did it, but it's like he had this, this switch. When he went evil, he went 
evil and his eyes are just amazing. This guy, I need to learn more about him and find out more about the movies that he's done. If he's done any more movies, hopefully he's done a couple monster movies because he just looked really cool. Now, our leading, I guess, heartthrob type guy, Johnny, played by John Ashley, he, well, as Jeff said during the introduction to the movie, which, again, I apologize for not recording, kind of sort of had that leading man Jeff Dean Elvis kind of thing going but not quite yeah really the only standout in the cast was Donald Murphy for me you had Sandra Knight playing Trudy who is the female lead who actually goes monster at one point in the film but other than that there's really not much I mean there's Harold Lloyd Jr. you know he's in the movie he plays Don Uh, he's a guy who's singing at a pool party yeah. Anyway, Frankenstein's Daughter. You know, it was a fun film. If you can kind of get over, like I said, the sexism, that sort of thing. Directed by Richard E. Kuna. I don't know much about him either. This is one of those movies that I really just don't know a heck of a lot about. It's something that I probably should learn a little bit more about. Because I feel like the director, well, I mean, he's done quite a few films. Giant from the Unknown, She Demons, movies that we would talk about here on Monster Kid Radio. And there were two monsters in this thing. Two monsters for the price of one. You've got Frankenstein's daughter, and there's a really, really cool scene, cool shot involving the Frankenstein's monster. Now, it is a woman. It's the woman's brain, but the body is bulked out like a man's body. And there is one shot where it's coming down the stairs. There's light streaming from behind and you see the silhouette as the monster as it's coming down. And it is straight up the Boris Karloff style monster, flat top bolts coming out of the neck, the way the arms are moved up. It looks really cool. The monster itself that's kind of neat. You know, it really reminded me of I Was a Teenage Frankenstein quite a bit, and I was shocked. There's actually some blood in this. A character gets crushed between a wall and a door, and he starts spitting up blood. When a corpse is brought into the laboratory, there's this dangling, uncooked meat-like foot hanging out of the body bag, or I guess it was wrapped up in a blanket. A character gets attacked by one of the monsters, and she's got blood on her face. I was really surprised. The movie's black and white, so, I mean, it just looks dark on screen, but I was really kind of surprised by that. Now, granted, the movie is from 1958, so we are starting to move into an era where you start to see a little bit more blood on screen. And I mentioned Teenage Frankenstein. That's got some what passed for gore at the time when the characters or the doctor is moving severed limbs around the lab and just happens to go right next to the camera to kind of show off the the limbs and the gore effects, that sort of thing. So, I mean, it's one of those things where you're in, you're getting into this transitionary period where things are going to be a little bit more graphic. Now, a lot of the characters are wearing bathing suits, and they're not really any more revealing than, say, like anything you'd see in Creature from the Black Lagoon or Ega or anything from this era. But there is one shot at the very end of the movie where Trudy is talking to Johnny, and... She has to adjust the strap on her bathing suit, and I don't know if it just wasn't fitting right or what had happened there, but I feel like it was a quick save. (laughs) You know, not that you're going to see anything, but it was a quick save as she's pulling the strap up and making sure it's secure on the shoulder. Just a little thing that I picked up on. I mentioned Ega, and the reason I mentioned Ega is because there's like two and a half song numbers in this thing. There's a few scenes out by the pool 
where the friends were all having a party because the doctor, not Dr. Frank, but the older doctor, Trudy's uncle, tells her to bring her friends over for a party because she's had a barbecue in back and that was meant to be enjoyed by a number of different, by, by her friends anyway, by a group of people. So she invites her friends over to the pool to have a pool party. And of course, when you have a pool party in a 1950s monster movie, you got to have some music. Now it's not surf music. It's music that, well, I'm sure they could get at a decent rate. I don't really know much about the band. You know, there's really not much I know about this film. Uh, Paige Cavanaugh and the Paige Cavanaugh Trio. That was the name of the band. And they looked a little creepy. <laughs> the bass player in particular, and I don't mean bass guitar, but like a you know cello bass strumming along there. He looked kind of creepy. Uh, <laughs> they, they just all looked creepy. The Paige Cavanaugh Trio joined by Don, played by Harold Lloyd Jr. at one point who had, earlier in the film had put on a monster mask to try to scare somebody. This movie's got a lot of huh moments, and I can see why a movie like this would turn up on something like Mystery Science Theater 3000 and why people in the audience thought that they could do amateur MST3K. You know, the peanut gallery was there. They weren't nearly as funny as, say, like Joel or Mike or any of them would have been. But I can see where this movie had those spots built in. You've got the ridiculous accent from the uncle. You've got this Dr. Frank character who's killing folks. And weird pacing, weird delivery with some of the lines. I mean, people are getting killed, and the other characters don't really seem to react very much. People are attempting to kill other people, and then the cops show up, and act, nobody acts like anything happened up to and including the guy who was about to get killed by somebody else, doesn't even tell the cop, hey, he was going to try to kill me. Nothing. They just play it off like, oh, well, we just got interrupted by something. Moving on. Moving on. I'm glad I saw the film. I, I really am. Uh, Jeff Polier from the Polier Graveyard said this was probably the worst movie that he saw on Weird Wednesday, and you know, it is rough in spots. It's probably... Um, something that I would recommend to people who are really, really into this kind of stuff and are really aware of and ready for the sexism and some of the flat acting and the cheapness of some of the special makeup effects. The Frankenstein's monster, I didn't have a problem with. I thought she moved oddly in spots, but overall I thought she looked good for what this movie was and what she was. The other monster that turns up at the beginning of the film she looked kind of goofy with the big bug ping pong style eyes big thick eyebrows makeup that stops at the neck even though she's wearing a dress or a bathing suit and the rest of her body is not covered in the same skin texture as her face it really left some to be desired and is kind of goofy oh well i did enjoy the film and for jeff martin to bring in a movie like this I mean, come on. Where else am I going to see Frankenstein's Daughter on the big screen? So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, monster kids of all ages, if you are ever, ever in the Tigard, Oregon area, you got to check out the Joy Cinema, especially on a Wednesday night. Now, before the show, he announced what the next movie is in the Weird Wednesday series. And, yeah, we're talking about making it out here again. Don't know if we're going to do an actual official crash, but I do think I'm going to try to get out here next week for Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter. No relation to this film, even though it's the daughter of Frankenstein. I also, I don't know if I've seen the entire film or not. I've seen parts of it. I know I've seen parts of that one. 
But uh, yeah, Frankenstein meets Jesse, or I'm sorry, Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter. That one sounds like a blast. As Jeff put it, that one's probably a little goofier than this one. And I don't think we'd have it any other way. I'm going to drive back to Monster Kid Radio headquarters, drop this into the computer, get the show ready to go and hit upload before calling it a night. I'll talk, even though I'm... (laughs) And, of course, we've got the next installment of Lugosi Ween coming up. And I have an announcement about uh, an upcoming movie release on DVD. It's an old movie, but it's just now getting another DVD release. Anyway, I'll talk to you guys here in a moment. He wanted to save a friend. She wanted a world of obedient killer zombies. Jesse James will kill us for what you are doing. Jesse James will be caught and hanged in Shelby. fiendish Frankenstein monster stalks the West's most fearless outlaw. Save your strength, Jesse James. You will need it. After watching Dracula for the first time, I tried to watch as many Bela Lugosi films as I could, and at the time, my classic monster worldview was still limited to the Universal films, so I, of course, watched Son of Frankenstein and Ghost of Frankenstein. Wow. I had heard stories about Lugosi angrily rejecting the role of Frankenstein's monster, and how that led to his not being paid as much as Karloff in later films, not getting cast or utilized by the studios as much, that sort of thing. I now know the tales of his being so afraid of the makeup obscuring his looks were exaggerated a lot. But back then, when I first saw him as Igor in Son of Frankenstein, I was blown away. I mean, I'm still blown away now. But the first time I saw his snaggled teeth, his miskempt hair, his broken neck, this was the suave, sophisticated man who played Dracula? This was the same guy who walked through that vampire movie that I thought belonged on a stage? Igor was most definitely not a stage character brought to the screen, and this is where I first realized Lugosi was more than just the Dracula guy, that he could be more than just Dracula. Now, I liked Karloff, too. Seeing him as the monster in Son of Frankenstein, yeah, that was cool, too. And to actually hear a character in the movie, the titular Son of Frankenstein himself, reference that people actually called the monster Frankenstein as if that was the monster's name, I just thought that was neat. But it was Igor that stole the show. As monster kids, we know Lugosi stuck with the Universal Frankenstein franchise through as many films as Karloff. If you count the uh, Abbott and Costello film, and 
I do. Lugosi as Igor appeared in Son of and Ghosts of Frankenstein, then finally as the monster in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, which, actually as a title, is exactly the kind of thing Baron Wolf von Frankenstein was complaining about in Son of Frankenstein. There is no Frankenstein in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. Instead, it's the Frankenstein's monster, played by Bela Lugosi. There are a lot of complaints about Lugosi's performance as Frankenstein's monster, and I get it, I suppose, but... I'd like to address one of the issues people seem to have about the movie by using another universal horror film to help make one of the most obvious differences a little easier to swallow. I'm referring to how the monster now looks in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. Eight years before that movie, Universal released a horror movie that featured both Lugosi and Karloff. Karloff got top billing in that movie even though Lugosi had more screen time as a surgeon who is asked by Karloff's character to make him look less ugly. The film suggests that a character who'd been called ugly all his life would be more antisocial, that someone who has a hideous face may act in a hideous way. Now, this film was 1935's The Raven, and I'd suggest that this odd bit of universal horror movie logic would work the other way, too that the character's personality could influence how the character looks. So, at the end of Ghost of Frankenstein, Igor's brain has been put into the body of Frankenstein's monster. So, of course, the Frankenstein's monster will start to look like Igor, who happened to be played by Bela Lugosi. Yeah, it's a real stretch. Now, if the Abbott and Costello film ended the original Universal monster movie cycle, it made sense that Lugosi would come back to play Dracula to end the whole thing. He was in the first of the sound monster movies in 1931 and the last of the original monster cycle in 1948. Not even Karloff could say that. Not that I continue to play them against each other anymore. things about that installment of Lugosi Ween. First, the music was Dance Macabre, Sad Part, by Kevin McLeod over at Incompetech.com. It's licensed under a Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You'll also see that in the show notes. Secondly, I know that was a smaller installment than the previous two installments, and part of it was by design. You see, I write these bits up before I record them, and this time around, completely coincidentally, and I'm sure the word count actually changed as I was reading it and recording it because I might have shortened a word here or added a word there, but the original draft was exactly 666 words. So I figured, why don't we just go ahead and leave it at that length? We'll do Legosi Ween Part 4 next week. On the grounds of Supermates' estates, there stands an ancient crumbling abode. This structure is said to contain unimaginable horrors, certain to chill your blood. Dare you enter the House of Frankenstein? You're insane. Don't tell me of it. I don't want to hear. I've changed my mind. I won't do it. In September and October, join the Baron Franklin Stein and his bride. Woman. Prayer. Yes. I want prayer. For four bone-chilling episodes 
as they discuss some of your favorite classic horror films. I am Dracula, and I welcome you to my house. My name is Horus. And resurrect and dissect some of the greatest monsters in cinema history. There's an old poem. Even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf bane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. But don't fear, comic fans. This house is full of dusty long boxes containing your favorite superheroes' encounters with the supernatural. Oh, vampires, Batman! We're surrounded! Your horror host will unravel a harrowing adventure each episode. Now, Superman, you will feel the bite of Dracula. This house of horrors can be found at www.supermatescomic.blogspot.com or on iTunes by searching for Supermates. Go quickly. Go! Yes! Yes, I'm going! So, grab your crucifix and wolfsbane, light your candle, and explore the blood-soaked corridors of the House of Frankenstein. We'll be expecting you. Go now, and heaven help you. Meeting a German. Sorexoricidae. Looks like a small rat. Shrews as small as rats, perfect for scientific experiments, until they began to grow and grow into things. They must eat three times their own weight in food every 24 hours or starve. There are two or three hundred giant shrews out there. Monsters weighing between 50 and 100 pounds. That's as big as a full-grown wolf. <laughs> Blood-curdling, horrifyingly poisonous monsters. With the livestock, the shoes got into the barn. The wildest of flesh eaters, threatening all mankind. Your flesh will crawl with fear at their nearness. The shoes were out there. I couldn't take a chance. That was the trailer for the 1959 film, The Killer Shrews. And the reason I played it is because I just got an email from Film Chest Media Group letting me know that The Killer Shrews is about to be released on DVD digitally restored. Yeah. And apparently this movie is one of Stephen King's favorite films, so he should be happy that the Film Chest Media Group is putting this movie out. I have never seen The Killer Shrews, but it's been on my radar for a while, at least since May, because back on episodes 101 and 102, Scott Morris and I talked about the movie The Giant Gila Monster, which was the movie that was shown as a double feature with The Killer Shrews. It had a lot of the same people involved in the production of the movie. 
And I've been talking with Scott off and on since then about having him back on to talk about the Killer Shrews and getting my hands on this new DVD, which is coming out on November 11th, is an excellent opportunity and excuse to watch the movie and talk about it on Monster Kid Radio. Suggested retail price of the DVD is $9.98 for a 69-minute movie that has been digitally restored. I think that's a pretty good deal. Now, Film Chess Media Group's been around since 2001, and they offer high-quality content for a wide variety of production and distribution needs, boasting one of the world's largest libraries of classic feature films, television, foreign imports, documentaries, special interests, and audio. We're talking over 10,000 hours of content, much of it restored and digitized in HD. Big thanks to Film Just for letting me know about the release of The Killer Shrews on a digitally restored DVD, and I can't wait to talk about it here on the show. Now that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I mentioned at the top of the show that I'll go over our contact information. You can email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or give us a call and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5MKR. That's 503-479-565. Seven. Of course, you can always reach us on Facebook as well. Also, over at monsterkidradio.net, you can find links to everything else we have, our Amazon store, a listing of every band that's appeared on the show in the past, and our Patreon page where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and help support the show, like Maya, somebody who showed up at the Monster Kid Radio crash for Frankenstein's Daughter. Big thanks to Jeff Martin, the man at the Joy Theater, the man who runs the show, bringing in these movies for Weird Wednesday. Thank you for bringing in Frankenstein's Daughter. That was a lot of fun. And as I said earlier, he is also going to be bringing in Jesse James meets Frankenstein's Daughter next Weird Wednesday. I'm thinking about doing that. And then later this month, House of Wax and 3D. Yeah. Stay tuned to MonsterKidRadio.net or Monster Kid Radio on Facebook or future episodes of the show when we talk about those upcoming Monster Kid Radio crashes. And to confirm and reiterate and just make people who don't live in Portland feel incredibly jealous. <laughs> October 24th, 7 p.m. The Monster Quad's playing at the Hollywood Theater. Yeah, that'll be a crash. I'll be there. I have to be. Fred Decker's going to be there in attendance. I mean, come on, it's the Monster Squad. That's going to be a real treat, as will the Hammer Horror Double Feature, which is on October 28th at 7.30 p.m. Twins of Evil and Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed, another Monster Kid Radio crash. We are crash-heavy this October, and I wouldn't have it any other way. (laughs) Next week on Monster Kid Radio... Friend of the show, Larry Underwood, a.k.a. the horror host known as Dr. Gay Green, is back. We're talking about another silent horror movie. This time we're talking about Nosferatu. This one's going to be fun. Hope to see you back here at MonsterKidRadio.net, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever it is you use to listen to the podcast. Remember, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. <laughs>